talking about it in this way that the IDL is a silver bullet and it will solve all your problems is simply not true. And it will actually hurt the industry because owners will spend a lot of time and money expecting a certain business outcome that may or may not actually be there in terms of reduced costs at the end of the day. The problem is that every single one of those defined business outcomes today that's sold to them by some vendor, whether it's their insurance company, a local municipality asking for ESG data, a company doing FDD, a company doing facilities management and maintenance, all of it comes back to an initial integration step, right? To implement that business outcome, you start by spending a lot of money and a lot of time going into the building and connecting those systems. Uh, and then you do that again, over and over and over with every vendor that comes in. I was trying to figure out how to mute you and I just ah, didn't get there I fast enough. I really want to mute someone. So someone, next person <laughs> to go over, I will figure out how to mute you. Hey friends, did you know the best way to continue learning beyond the Nexus podcast is to sign up for our newsletter? The Nexus newsletter is your one-stop shop for staying up to date on the latest smart building trends. Sign up today free of charge and we'll drop this industry-leading resource right into your inbox every Wednesday. If you're already signed up, double high five and thank you. But now tell your coworkers and your friends. Once you're signed up, the best way to continue the learning is to join the Nexus Pro Membership community or our online course offering headlined by our flagship course, Nexus Foundations. Diving into these products allows you to connect with our global community of like-minded change makers. Links are below in the show notes. And now on to the pod. Right, I think they can all see us now. Hello to everyone in the audience. Thanks for coming. Uh, we're doing it live here. So welcome to the Nexus podcast. Today's episode is a new debate style format that we're going to be experimenting on here today. It's called Change My Mind. And this idea came from pro member Pete Swanson. So thank you, Pete. I think I saw Pete's name in, in the audience here. So thanks, Pete. It's a great idea. So first of all, I was an athlete in high school, so I was not on the debate team. I'm sure there are people that do both, but I was just purely an athlete. So this is my first formal debate I've ever participated in. So thanks everyone for in advance for the grace as we feel this process out. And as we do with everything, we'll sort of iterate on this after this first session and hope to make future debates the best we can. All that said, here are our rules for the debate. We're going to target about an hour here. We're going to do Q&A at the end of that hour. These folks have been provided with time limits for opening arguments and response arguments. If they, don't, if they go over those time limits, well, they'll be muted. They're going to need to be civil and kind, but we didn't come here just to be kind. We came here to debate each other. So please do be prepared to argue. Argument is encouraged. Are any of you anti-confrontational like me? You're going to need to get over that before we start. To minimize talking over each other, we're going to use hand raising to, to sort of get the floor. So if you want to speak out of turn, you'll, you'll need to do that. The resolution that we're debating here, here's the, the, the key statement that we're debating. Every large building owner, and we're defining large by over 100,000 square feet, should have an IDL or an independent data layer in the smart building stack. And the definition of the IDL that we're going to use for this we're going to call it a dedicated edge connectivity and middleware layer that is independent of the applications or application layer. And this could be a product, it could be developed by a building owner, it could be an open source project. I don't think we're here to debate what the best method of providing the IDL is. We're here to debate sort of the need for the dedicated layer between the devices and applications. Do any of you all, before we start, want to sort of change that definition or, or give us any feedback or briefly add anything to that definition at all? Or are we all good? Well, I think in the in the spirit of debate, we, we should have some feedback. The only thing I would add is it should also be independent of the devices, not just the application. Right? So it's independent above and below. Above and below. Cool. I'll add something there, James, which is... Okay. Are we defining it as raw data only, or are we defining it as some level of modeling? Um, I think what I think we're defining it as some layer of modeling, but I think when we get to the points that we disagree on, I think that that piece will definitely come up. Yeah, some layer of modeling, 
um, some layer of data storage, some layer of API or some sort of access for applications. Um, yes, we're defining it as some layer of modeling that's separate from the applications. So Kenny and I will be judges. You guys will compete to change our minds. And then obviously the last thing is no sales or self-promotion. We're sort of debating this concept, not really talking about any individual products. And we have our pro members here today. So they're going to, I, th I hope they will all weigh in as well. So we're, this is change your mind. So if, if they, you, I want you guys to pick a team and see if these guys change your mind as well. At the end of the discussion, we'll have pro members come up here, like I said earlier, and this this will be published as a podcast and as video for the, for the members. So let's do some introductions. Kenny Trowers is a senior associate at Cisco Hennessy Group out of New York. Then we have the advocate team. Sean Cooley is founder and CEO of Mapped. Sean's out of California. Then we have the second member of the advocate team. We have Sylvia Quaglia is technical program manager of building technology at Dexis out of Sydney, Australia. We're covering a lot of time zones here today. And then we have the skeptic team. Alex Grace is VP of business development at Clockworks Analytics out of Boston. And then his teammate, Greg, uh, how do you say your last name, Greg? Smar. <laughs> Smar. So Greg Smar is founder and CTO of Interval Data Systems. He's also out of Boston. So we have like team skeptic boston folks is that is that just run in the in the water in boston absolutely okay the dirty water yeah all right sylvia and i can be team pacific ocean then instead of team boston there you go so you guys don't know each other i don't think any of you really know each other and so i wanted to do something to get our juices flowing a little bit um so we're going to just debate something stupid to begin with which is cats versus dogs and so i want to call on sean Go first, pick a position, and then we'll we'll go to the the skeptics team to pick the other side. Just 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 to get the juices flowing. I'm gonna go with dogs. I uh, every cat I've ever Why? had just does not uh, does not need me. It's uh, it's nice when the dog it wants you to be part of its world. Needs you it's, a little uh, bit. Yeah, it needs you a little bit. You leave for two minutes and you come back in and it acts like you've been gone for six months. The uh, the cats you can be gone for six months and they just look at you like, eh, get out of my house. <laughs> All right, skeptics, argue for cats. Well, that's a hard one. <laughs> okay, so needy, these dogs, you know? I mean, exactly, exactly. They need you all the time. They're high maintenance. Cats are independent. They clean themselves. They know what they're doing. I don't believe with that at all, but I had to go for it. <laughs> uh, love it. Anything to add, Sylvia? To the, to the dog. Dogs are so much better. They love you and uh, we need love in the world. So that is it. Like a cat doesn't need you, doesn't want you. You are just like a burden for them. Uh, you're just a provider of food. So yeah, no, no, no debate here. <laughs> but the nice thing right. about cats is that you can leave them home alone and not have to worry. All right. But if you do die next to a right, cat, Kenny. it will eat you. So uh, dog, dog will just lay down yeah. next to you, which is kind of kind of nice of it. <laughs> that might be the winning, the yeah, winning that's argument. The, that's the mic drop. No rebuttal. Yeah, that. Mic drop. So Kenny, did did they change your mind either way? Uh, yeah, I'm team dog. <laughs> Based All on right. The last. <laughs> All right. I love it. Okay, let's start the real debate. Fun, good times to begin with. Thank you for humoring me there. Uh, so we're going to do the first speaker on the advocate team. The advocate team, again, is Sean and Sylvia. Sylvia, I think you're going to go first. You're going to present your arguments in support of the resolution. And you have timer setting a timer for four minutes right now. Go. Okay. So the most important things for a building owner is what? Is to make profit. And you can only make profit um, if you rent uh, your space, correct? So you need to find a tenant that is willing to pay a certain amount of money for your space. And uh, with anchor tenants, which is what you want uh, if you want to start to build uh, your property, comes requests, a lot of requests and lease agreement. And one of the requests uh, uh, now that we are seeing more and more frequently is full access to building data. And I'm not like saying like that they are specifying the data that they want. They just say full access to building data. 
which is very vague and it makes it very complicated, obviously. And how do you grant that if you don't have an IDL? Do you give them access directly to uh, your service network? Do you let them plug in whatever device they want? Um, how are they going to interface with the different subsystem? And when you have a tenant, then you need to reduce the OPEX cost of the building at the minimum, right? The OPEX costs are the ongoing cost. Um, and a way to do this is to optimize your building or uh, to have like a data-driven maintenance tool. And again, you need like a third-party application to plug in their device uh, to them to send the data to their application. So you allow each contractor to plug in in whatever subsystem network. Um, and even if you have an integrated network, then like it's, it's, it's kind of the same. And it can cost a fortune because uh, like systems are complex, uh, like building are complex in general. And then there is th this additional complexity related to the, 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 the subsystem. Like access control is very different for BMS. So that's another question. So how do you do that? Um, your sustainability team needs uh, the energy and the water data to go to a third-party analytics platform. Again, how you do that, how you normalize the data to them, like uh, how you provide an easy way for whatever stakeholder needs data um, to access to it. So I can provide like a long list of uh, stakeholder and different set of data that they need for different purposes. The point is not like I like can go forever, but that like it's literally it's it, it's proven very easy that we need to provide a unified data layer for data integration. And the, with the silhouette system, it's kind of impossible. I wish that we could do these things at the edge, and maybe we will. But the reality of today is that we cannot. And so that is basically all I have to say. And uh, I really hope that it makes sense to you. Um, I don't yeah. want to fill all the time with the different words that are not. I love it. Yeah, we don't have to fill up yeah. all these time limits. Cool. I just wanted to real quick clarify what you're saying, Sylvia. So the ability for you to provide the same interface for a bunch of different stakeholders that don't need to know how to basically integrate with the base building systems. They just need to know how to access it in this one place, which you're saying is an API. Thank you for starting us out. All right, Alex. We're going to reset the timer here. Alex, you're the first speaker on the skeptic team. Your job is to basically present arguments in opposition of the resolution. We're not necessarily responding to Sylvia quite yet. Why doesn't it make sense from your perspective to do an IDL? All right, go. Cool. So I don't think all buildings over 100,000 square feet need an IDL because what buildings need are the defined business outcomes that they're trying to accomplish. So do they have the ESG goals? Is tenant comfort what's important to them? Um, what are all the different outcomes and business objectives that they are trying to accomplish? That's where we should start from, not from the point of a technology decision that may or may not be applicable to actually solve the business problem that the owner thinks they're going to solve. So start with the business objective and the outcome you're trying to accomplish then figure out what are the applications that are actually going to deliver those outcomes to me that I have confidence in. Then from there, look closely at what the data sources are that need to feed those applications. Then look what the overlap is between those data sources, because talking about it in this way that the IDL is a silver bullet and it will solve all your problems is simply not true. And it will actually hurt the industry because owners will spend a lot of time and money expecting a certain business outcome that may or may not actually be there in terms of reduced costs at the end of the day. So start with the business objectives that you want to achieve, figure out the applications that will feed that. What are the data sources there? What are the overlaps of those data sources? Then determine, do we have sufficient overlap of data sources here to justify a data layer? You'll notice I'm saying data layer, not independent data layer, because I, I don't quite understand what is independent um, about a data layer, uh, independent from the hardware that's underneath and the applications above. Okay, that's clear, but it's not independent in terms of, you know, it's another vendor decision for an application. It's essentially another application that is a middleware layer in your stack. Um, this is not new, right? There's a lot of precedent for this in various industries, maybe less so in commercial real estate, 
But for example, Pharma always has a, a Pi server involved as a middleware layer between their data sources and the applications that they're trying to, to you know, in regulated environments, that's extremely common. Um, but start with the business case, that's the most important thing. Independent, questionable. Plug and play, unfortunately, is often not the case. Um, so, you know, just an example here, I've never seen a data layer that will tell me uh, that the preheat is before the mixed air temperature or that the dehumidification mode is overriding normal sequence of operations for heating and cooling. So there's a lot of details to like how, that's more of a nuanced point about how far the data layer should go and how much modeling should be there versus raw data. But the point is, these are just simple examples to say that the application may actually not benefit from the data layer in terms of the cost um, reduction that you expect it to which is why you have to start with the business objectives and the applications that will feed it and go in that direction rather than the other way around. And then the last point is really around interoperability and centralization versus decentralization. So the, the data layer concept, essentially you're centralizing data and then, and then expecting there to be cost benefit by plugging the applications in. Maybe yes, but not necessarily. So we need to look at the advantages of interoperability between applications. That's more of a federated concept like federated metadata standards between applications and, and avoiding the need for centralization in the first place. 20 more seconds if you need it. Um, I think I'll end it there. I'll end it there. Nice. So several key points. I'm taking those down. Kenny's taking those down. I think we'll, we'll use those when we go to a more open part of the argument. Um, Sean, over to you. So you have six minutes now. So you're the second speaker on the advocate team. You can present further arguments to add to Sylvia's point. You can also begin to respond to some of these arguments that the skeptic team is bringing up. Great. So I, I think I will start by responding to some of the points that Alex made. Um, you know, the, this concept of a, divine, a defined business out is absolutely what business owners should be thinking about, what building owners and, and other parties involved in the building should be thinking about. The problem is that every single one of those defined business outcomes today that's sold to them by some vendor, whether it's their insurance company, a local municipality asking for ESG data, a company doing FDD, a company doing facilities management and maintenance, all of it comes back to an initial integration step. Right. To implement that business outcome, you start by spending a lot of money and a lot of time going into the building and connecting those systems. Uh, and then you do that again over and over and over with every vendor that comes in. Those vendors spend a lot of time and effort trying to do those connections. They spend a lot of time and effort with what we refer to as the second day problem. Right. Somebody changes a backnet ID, somebody updates a firmware on a device, somebody swaps out a piece of equipment. You get to go back in and do all of your integrations again. And so this problem just keeps snowballing for both the vendors and for the, the business owner that's trying to achieve those outcomes. And so you're continually throwing money at this problem of integration. The independent data layer steps in and says one party, and whether or not that party is an extra vendor or not, uh, you know, the independent part, I just want to be clear, is independent from the device manufacturers and it's independent from the application providers or those solution providers. But that one party comes in and owns the entire top to bottom integration, whether it's manual or automated. Sometimes it might require a one-time step to, to go through and do that work, but that one vendor is now on the hook for that day two problem, for going in and making sure that every time something changes, that that's updated. Every time a new device is added, it's brought into the independent data layer. Every time a device is removed, it's removed from the independent data layer. And that allows then the application vendors to decouple themselves from the chaos that's inside of the building and really focus on the application that they're trying to provide. And so now they get to spend all their time on the FDD solution or the ESG reporting solution rather than the headaches of the integration piece that they were previously charging the customer a one-time upfront fee for and putting a lot of time and effort into. Similarly, for the device manufacturers, it allows the device manufacturers to focus on providing the best sensor or the best device that they possibly can and not worry about all of the solutions that need to be built on top of it. I think that these things really drive forward the entire industry and, and allow all of us 
to stop thinking about that integration problem and just say it's solved by whatever IDL layer I chose along the way. Uh, the other things that I'll, I, I'll, I'll touch on that um, I don't think have been brought up yet is the alternatives to this are uh, likely what Greg will talk about, which is this sort of utopian world where all of the vendors get together, all the device manufacturers get together and agree on a standard uh, and then decide to move forward with that standard. Uh, and then also get to a point where they've actually deployed that standard broadly enough into the world that we can start depending on it. I think that it would be really nice if we can get there. Um, the reality is that making it through a standards organization is going to take a couple of years. Getting vendors to adopt it is going to take a couple of more years. And then getting it into the field, I think in the, in the response that I gave uh, on, the, on the Nexus Connect forum, uh, you know, I, I mentioned BACnet Secure, uh, which, you know, we're seven years post post standard, and I've yet to see it in a single building uh, that we've we've ever integrated with. So, you know, I am quite skeptic that a standards organization is able to make it to the point where this type of thing happens. Um, you know, in a past life, uh, I was responsible for Cisco's IoT standards efforts uh, across about twenty different standards bodies. Um, I should send them all to you separately so you can run them over the screen, but it's everybody from IETF to IEEE, W3C, 3GPP, uh, Laura Alliance, uh, some ASHRAE work, you know, on and on down the line. And I can tell you that the way that large companies view standards bodies is more about competitive advantages, more about ways that they can keep their competitors having to play catch up with the things that they were already about to release and less about actual standardization and interoperability. And so I'm quite the skeptic that it, that, that mode is going to solve this. Uh, coming back to the independent data layer, I think I still have about a about a minute. So, you know, the, the other pieces of it is really, yes. really about the, the ease of implementation, right? So again, when you look at the number of systems that are inside of a building, those systems speaking protocols like BACnet, KNX, Modbus, CBUS, Omics, you know, on and on down the line, Every one of those protocols has slight differentiation between vendors and how they make use of it. And so you end up in this world, especially on older protocols like Modbus or Cbus, uh, where you're really doing a lot of effort to understand how that particular manufacturer implemented that protocol along the way. Giving that to a single party, giving that to a single party to let the single party deal with all of that integration uh, is a huge advantage of having an independent data layer. I think the, the last piece of it is that the cloud connectors, which we didn't talk about earlier, but if you look at companies like OpenPath or Matterport or VergeSense or Butler, all of these companies are purely cloud-based. There is no on-prem protocol to integrate with. Every one of them has different authentication, different rate limiting, different back-off algorithms that you have to do, different ways of getting the data and the formats of the data comes in. And you really need to be able to integrate with those independently. Stop there. I was trying to figure out how to mute you and ha, I just didn't get there fast enough. I really want to mute someone. So someone, <laughs> next person to go over, I will figure out how to mute you. You, you got me. You got the best of me you there, to, You Sean. have to switch from chat to people yes. and then it's a, a mute per person on there. Yes. The, I yes. got the extra two minutes. There it is. In there, so. All right. Thank you, Sean. Greg, last one. We'll give you six minutes as well. Basically adding to Alex's points against the resolution. Also beginning to respond to Sean and Sylvia, if you'd like, starting now. Okay. Well, the first point is that every building needs data and you need to have the data to go along with. The engineer has specified that these are the, this is the system that you're going to be looking at. And these are the points of data that I want uh, be, to be delivered. If we were designing the system from the start, we would say, oh, that's really great. Now, where do we want that data so that we can just put the data there? No, no other, other information. What I'm saying is the independent data layer is trying to figure out a randomizing of the actual data storage so that you've lost contact with the building information model, with the energy model of the building, and you are now just working with what the... Uh, contractor has decided that he wants you to see and how he wants it to look at it rather than what the engineer wants you to see. 
the difference between the IDL and the, uh, you know, a, a system where the engineer specified it uh, and was said, the customer will tell you where you store that information. And so my concept is what's called a global key database so that you just have a global key so that the uh, manufacturer, not every man, the manufacturers don't have to talk to any other manufacturers. They only have to explain their own piece of equipment. They are the ones that will identify and say that when I'm looking at a VAV box with reheat and I installed it in 1970, this is the hardware. This is the make and model of the stuff that I have sent you, just like the car. It's going to the car and saying, oh, my car's broken and I need something. And if you can only tell him the make and model, he'd be able to find, you know, you need you know, whatever. So that's the, the real key. The other side is that we're, as I say, we're already collecting three data points. You have a semantic ID that uh, basically is defined by the BAS contractor, but this is what you're controlling, a timestamp and a value. All I'm saying is that you need two global points from that manufacturer who sold you the equipment responding to the spec, one for telling you what the system is that he was controlling, and the other are what each and every individual points are. At the end, what I'm saying is that when you buy your, your system, you're also buying the data and you should be able to manage the data and do what you want with it rather than uh, having somebody come in and say, oh, well, I'll, I'll pay, you can pay me and I'll show you how you can use the data that you already own. There's really no question about what that data is. You have a, a contract, you have a, a design document, you have a schematic that shows you where all the sensors are, and you have a, a set of specifications that are telling you what it is that you are getting. So what I say is that if it's a Honeywell VAV box with reheat, then they will give you, here's what we call that, and they'll give you a number. And, they'll t and these are the 12 points that are going to be coming across, and they will give you numbers for each and every one of those so everybody knows what they are. Then now when you want to use the data, it's available. There's no question about what it is. Everybody knows and everybody can solve the problem after the fact. We just need the data attached to the building, not attached to a control system. And that's pretty much all I have to say. <laughs> I can stop. Can I, all right. Here. Can, I, can uh, I add on if there's still time in that six minutes? Yes. There is uh, a minute and a half. Great. So, yes. Great use of great use of time. Perfect. Um, I just wanted to respond a little bit earlier to some of the statements um, from me, Sean. So I think there was a statement made, which was, you know, a common refrain, I believe, around this conversation, which is, hey, look, there's all these applications spending all this money on integrations. We should simplify that and integrate once. If that business analysis is true, agreed. And my position I'm trying to bring up to the conversation is that in line with what I mentioned before, starting with the business objectives that you want to achieve and the applications that you actually want to fulfill those objectives, and then determining how many of those integrations need to happen and are they actually the same overlap of data? And then what is the cost of that compared to an IDL? I think that's, the, that's a reasonable analysis to take place. But starting with the having that argument land a priori of that process doesn't work, meaning it's not true that the that 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 implementing an IDL is going to be cheaper than what you 15 seconds. So also, I think there's a lot of smushing together of data. It, it, you don't need the same data set. So I haven't seen another application outside of FDD that needs to understand dehumidification mode. So there's a lot of defining of requirements first and then figuring out the overlap second. All right. Thank you, Alex. Well done. Uh, way to sneak that in. All right. So Kenny, this is where we, we make all of them mute each other. And what we're do, you and I just need to go back and forth to figure out, okay, what are all the key areas that we want to bring up and let them debate on next? Um, what do you got? You, you go first. 
Okay. So <clears throat> what came out from Team Pacific basically is that you need the IDL, right? So you could have this plug and play to minimize integration and focus on the actual application at hand. I think that was kind of like the big point that jumped out for Team Pacific. Um, and for Team Boston, um, <laughs> it was uh, <laughs> more business case driven to figure out what is it that you're trying to achieve and not, you know, implement an IDL just because, right? That's kind of like high level and I have some additional points, um, but those are kind of the two uh, major points I pulled out of it. Yeah, yeah. All right, I, I have a couple as well. So I think there's a there's a question around, um, Do are the use cases that we're trying to enable here do they require a, another layer here or can they just be enabled with a f- sort of a full stack solution? It seems like what Alex is saying is we might not need an IDL because it might be simpler just to hire one vendor to do this and one vendor to do that. And maybe that's all we need to accomplish here. So I, I think maybe we'll hit that one. I think that'd be good to sort of clarify that piece. And then there's Greg's point. What Greg's saying is if, if maybe this doesn't need to exist at all, because maybe this will get solved with a standard, right? I think Sean hit that a little bit, but I think maybe there's some more to explore there. And then I think, Alex, you, you brought up this point around the humidification mode, right? And the, this, um, you called it a nuanced piece, but I, I think it's a good point. Uh, we can't hide the fact that you're coming from Clockworks Analytics and you guys expect a lot of the IDL. You're expecting the IDL to be very sophisticated for your application to sit on top. And I think there are other people in the Nexus community, if you look at the discussion on the forum, um, Josh from Brainbox AI was bringing sort of the same point, which is in order for me to be able to sit on top of the IDL, I need a certain sophistication. I need this point to be exposed. I need to know which control points I can override, et cetera. So I think that's another, that's the third sort of piece that I think we, we sort of should discuss here. Those are the three points for me. Kenny, does that sound good to you? Yeah. Yep. All right. Um, and remind me what your two points, you had two points, didn't you? Yeah, it was, um, ideal is needed for simple integration, um, for, you know, tenant spaces, plug and play, you know, approach. And then team Boston was arguing, you know, you need the business case to sort of make your decision and not just implement an ideal. Totally. All right. Let's start with, with those two. Um, so I, I don't know that I heard the, and I kind of just want to have this be opened up. So all you guys can unmute when you're ready to jump in, just please just raise your hand. Yes, let's do it. Good, Sean. Thank you for, for demonstrating when you're ready to jump in. Um, so the first thing I wanted to open up the floor on is Sylvia's point. So I think Sylvia is saying, um, let me just try to restate what she's saying. A bunch of different stakeholders need the same data and I want to provide one user interface. Really the only way to do that is the independent data layer. Um, unless you just tell all these different stakeholders that, oh, you need to go grab that from BACnet and that from Modbus, good luck. Or you can say, All right, I implemented this technology over here. They maybe have an API or they can do some sort of export for you uh, there. So let's open it up. Can this be done, what Sylvia is saying, without the IDL is, I think, the main question. Can we first define, let's go a level deeper. So this is where the conversation often starts, which is like, everyone needs the same data. Let's go a level deeper and say, what data are we actually talking about here specifically? Let's also recognize that there are different sectors with very different needs. Okay, Sylvia, go ahead. What data are we talking about here? Right. So when you go to the leasing agreement with the tenant, they don't say to you which data they want because they are not sure. They just want access to data. And you are signing on that. So the access come with something that is easy. And therefore, because they don't really know what they're going to have, you need to give a certain type of access. And, and then you, you sign an agreement that say, hey, you're going to have this type of data for the HVAC, this type of data for the access control, et cetera, et cetera, right? So 
Of course, you cannot do this by saying hey, you need to plug in your device in our network to get this data from the HVAC, to get this data from the all right? Alex, go ahead. Response. Oh, no, sorry, sorry, Sean. <laughs> Alex wasn't raising his hand. Uh, yeah, I, and uh, look, I'll just add to that. When we say what points of data are we getting, it's, it's the, the goal is all of them. Right? We want all the points from all the systems. We want all the point names. We want all the configurations. And we want those normalized into a form that everybody can understand. And if you can take that a step further and model it so that you know the, the system from Honeywell looks the same as the system from JCI, which looks the same as the system from Carrier, you're in a much better place to start making decisions about these. I think you know, the, the, this, this question about which data should we collect, I think the inverse of that is when an FDD company shows up or an energy optimizer shows up, their first step is always collecting data for a month or so before they come back and make suggestions about what you need to change inside of the building. You can eliminate that entire month if you've been collecting the data in advance and have it available. Alex, you want to respond before we move on? Yeah, I would say when you drill a level down to say, well, help me understand what data you really need and what are the reporting requirements around it. It ends up being a lot simpler than we're making out to be in the first place. So when we're talking about ESG objectives, what are we talking about? We're talking about operational avoidable carbon related to ESG. We're talking about energy consumption. We're actually talking about a handful of data points. We're not talking about the position of the zone dampers. We're not talking about, you know, 5,000 of the points. We're talking about five or 50 at most of the, of the 5,000. So I think like we have to get into the specifics here because without the specifics, you don't, you, you can't really justify the business case. And you might be buying something that you think is unlocking value, but yet if you haven't, def if you have, you haven't defined first and foremost, what it is you need to really get out of it, then you may waste a lot of money on an abstraction layer that has not actually delivered value to the vendors that you think there's overlap with, of which there's not. This is actually the point number two. So yes, this is a perfect segue into our second point here. Um, Sean, go ahead. Yeah, I, I think I'll, I'll respond to that by saying, you know, if you are the building owner and you have tenants asking you for data, uh, it, you've got one of two ways that that can go. Either you're going to put in engineering effort to collect and provide that data to them. Uh, or you're going to allow that solution to remove unfettered access to plug random devices into your BMS network. I don't think that either one of those are a good biting your tenants with access to data. The third one is you have an independent data layer that you've already moved the data into. It moves in real time into a cloud solution, and you can grant access to those tenants to that data with a single click rather than allowing them to plug something in or putting your own so I think that, you know, if you're looking at it from Dexus's point of view or any other building owner's point of view, having that data in a centralized repository where you can start to push it off to those tenants without them interfering with your operations becomes a pretty big deal. Greg. Uh, one of the other things that I, th I thought you should know that data is important to your tenants but it's also important to a lot of other people. If we had all the data that was available that you could access, uh, you basically have a complete energy audit. So She's saying, I want to provide it to my tenants, but that's not the only stakeholder. I also want to provide it to the sustainability folks and to whoever else. Exactly. I feel like you're arguing I, for her there. I, I do Any, actually want to. Well, no, I'm saying that the data should be I, there. I do just want to take a quick stab and say, I don't think Greg is too far off of Team IDL. Here, Alex. Alex is pretty far off team IDL, but yeah. but I think I am I not that, uh, to tell you the truth. I I have no yeah, idea. I, I think that the you know <laughs> when I hear Greg talk, I think we're in we're in like violent agreement that there should be a centralized repository of data and that all the data should be there. You know, as much as you can collect for as long as possible. I think the big difference is Greg says there should be a standard that makes the manufacturers provide it in an understandable way. And, you know, as an IDL manufacturer, I would love that future. I think that would be fantastic if that exists because it takes a lot of the work off of companies like ours. But, you know, in the meantime, the IDL is the way to get there now versus waiting for a standard. But otherwise, I think we're roughly saying the, the same things. Sylvia, did you have your hand raised? 
Yeah, yeah, sorry. My point was actually that the same thing. So, Sean, uh, like, I would love to not have to build an IDL because, to be fair, it's a lot of money for a building owner, right? Like, you have to have the standardized approach. You have to, like, keep, like, doing it. You have to decide at the points that you're going to integrate, et cetera, et cetera. So it's an additional cost for the building owner. But the standard that you are talking about, Greg, is not there. Like, I'd have to solve a problem now, not in 10 years when everybody will agree on something, right? Uh, you also had your hand raised, Alex. Go ahead. So if your use case is, I need to give all my tenants all the data, I'm not sure why, but that's what they want, and it's contractually obligated to do so, that is a great use case to have some kind of layer that provides that. There's zero debate there. That is a very small subset of the market. There's a lot of building portfolios that do not have that use case. Um, and starting with the idea that before, here, here's why I care about the topic. If you go ahead and implement an IDL and spent years or a long time and a lot of money trying to accomplish that, to meet a use case that is unclear whether it's really necessary, it can hurt the overall smart buildings effort of your organization. Smart buildings programs needs to produce business value within portfolios to not be canceled and have those budgets completely cut, to not revisit smart buildings applications in the future because that bridge has been burned internally. So it's very important to make sure that we're trying to accomplish those objectives. Not everyone has that. And then secondly, you know, within FDD, someone can have access to the data very easily. Like once you have to, you have to store the data again anyway on the application layer. So there's not really a redundancy there that you're solving. And users can have access in that way. There's a third point, which is around authentication, which is oh, making sure. Hold which on, is on save the third point. Okay. Um, you guys want to respond to those first two? Good. Uh, the point that I'm making is not that just only the tenants need that. They, there is a lot of other different stakeholders, right? So you are just uh, like providing an easy way for different stakeholders, which are not just only tenants. Therefore, for each building, there will be a lot of different stakeholders that need different data. So it's just an easy way for them to get it without spending a lot of money for different third-party applications to go there and plug in their device and get the data that they want. Yeah, and and I'll I'll just um, since I know Alex can't hear, uh, I the the point was that you don't know in advance what these tenants are asking for, right? So collecting all of the data, and making available as needed, can save you a lot of time and effort down the line. You know, the the other thing that I'll add is you you've touched on a point that it takes years to implement an IDL uh, and substantial cost. Um, I, I know I'm not supposed to pitch my own. So I'll talk about Novent Buildings IoT and Code Labs. Um, it doesn't take years. It, it doesn't even take months. And it doesn't cost a lot of money. They're all very, very inexpensive and very easy ways to get in between uh, you know, the, the device manufacturers that you have today. And the system integrators, if you want to talk about expensive, uh, wait until you know Siemens or Schneider sends you a bill for adding two extra backnet points to uh, to a backnet system that you want access to. Uh, you know when you get that bill for four hundred thousand uh, dollars, that that's expensive, right? So getting in there in advance of that and collecting all of that data is a very attainable goal these days with the IDLs that exist out there. Um, Alex, do you have a third point? I want to move on if you don't. Uh, the third point is just around authentication of just really thinking through how you make sure that the users or the tenants in your building actually have access to only their, their data and not others, which is not a trivial point that has su a sufficient amount of complexity involved. I'm going to set that aside due to time. I think that's a product specific thing. Different products can solve that in different ways. I really want to hit something that we haven't gotten to yet, which is Alex, your point around um, these different sort of, you said nuance, you said, um, humidification mode, these basically these higher levels of technical detail that certain applications need. And I think if I sort of summarize what you said earlier, Alex, you're saying um, we've come across buildings that have had IDLs implemented. And again, big like diversity on what certain IDLs are capable of. Um, You've come across buildings where what was in the IDL, and mostly talking about data modeling here, so context around the data and the IDL, that wasn't enough context for you guys to do what you need to do. Um, again, Brainbox, the, Josh from Brainbox has brought up a, a similar point. 
not enough data in this IDL for us to, you know, get anything useful out of it. So we basically need to start over to enable our solution at the application layer. I'd love for the IDL team to respond to that, right? What have you seen? What have, What is your response to that sort of skeptic argument? I could take that one. Go ahead, Sean. I think, you know, the, some, somebody probably mentioned it in the chat already, but the XKCD, you know, the standards organization doesn't do what I need. I'm going to go start my own standards organization is the, the same sort of concept as, as what you just described. You know, when you come in and there's an IDL layer that does 90% of what you need, but it doesn't have that last 10%, deciding you're going to throw the whole thing out and start from scratch again just doesn't make any sense, right? It, it would make a lot more sense to go in and try to extend and work with the IDL layer to say, hey, to put FDD on top of this, here are these extra things that you guys aren't collecting or you're not modeling properly that we need from this layer. And again, now you're enabling this layer to do more and to be more robust along the way. But throwing it all out and saying, I'm going to go spend three months doing my own integration uh, just, just seems like a, like a really bad approach. The, the issue is, I'm not, I guess I'm not clear on where the solving of that integration is in the first place. Like the applications still need to integrate to the IDL, which is going to have particular nuances and I'm not sure where the efficiency really is gained from what you're describing. Yeah, so happy happy to respond to that. So the IDLs are including data normalization. They are not just data lakes that are taking all the data out of the building and shoving it into a, a big, you know, I, I joke data lakes are actually data swamps, but they're not just shoving it into that, that one spot. In the process of normalizing the data, it means that the SDD vendor only integrates into the API once. They don't have to customize that integration for every single building that they go into. It's the data layer that's taking on the effort of taking each of those unique snowflakes of a building and turning them into the normalized form that the data layer is producing on the API side. Yeah. So I think I think part of the challenge of this conversation is, is you know we're obviously not here representing the um, individual applications that we both are a part of. Um, there's a bit of a chicken or the egg situation, right? So you know certainly I've seen if someone has an independent data layer, if if tens of thousands of buildings had independent data layers with one point of API integration to perfectly normalize data, obviously that would be fantastic, right? Um, on the flip side, I've seen a lot of owners that have thought they were that they were buying something that would create efficiencies for them with lots of applications that ended up not doing that because each application still needs to store the data, needs to have their own data models to be able for their application specific. And there often isn't that much overlap, like what security data or a, works, a workplace planning, space planning application needs versus what FDD needs is very different data. And it's different types of velocity of data. It's different types of normalization that is needed. It's not the same thing. So there ends up being a lot of duplication anyway. So it's a bit of chicken of the egg that if someone has already gone down this direction, that of course is great. But I do think it does a disservice to the overall industry by leading people to do this without thinking through all of the trade-offs. Sylvia, go ahead. So just I just want to understand. So how are you going to... Um, like, so your solution is that I plug in a data integrator for each third-party application that needs their data in a building. How it can be uh, like a, a, a great uh, intelligent approach for a big portfolio. And so, Sean, go ahead if you want to add on to it. Yeah, I, I was just going to also respond to Alex in, in saying that, you know, this, this um, our view of the world is that each of these companies has chosen a select few number of points that help them to deliver their business today. And I think that it is a very short-sighted view to say that there are no other points in the building that would add value to that solution. And so, you know, when you are looking at, uh, you know, just the, you know, the, the certain components of the HVAC system and not other ones, or you're looking at the components of the HVAC system without also looking at the access readers or the occupancy counters or the, the footfall traffic monitoring, I think that you are artificially 
narrowing the scope of the solution that you deliver. And it's not to say that it doesn't provide value to customers in that, in that, uh, you know, Who scope. is you here? Is but this me specifically or Royal you? It's F FDD, yeah, FDD solutions, any, any solution, ESG reporting, FDD, um, you know, energy optimization, all of these, you know, the, the businesses are built on, you know, we've found this particular set of data that we can pull out of the building and use to produce our, our output. And we've found customers who are willing to pay for that output. But I think that once you settle in on those, uh, sorry, again, once these vendors settle in on that narrow set of points, it becomes very hard for them to open up their scope. And so this argument that you don't need those other points, I don't fully buy because I, I think that right. you can get better data and better visibility by seeing everything. All right. Last, last thing, sure Alex, and then we're going to kind of head towards conclusion slash opening it up for the okay. audience. I, I think... I think what individual FDD applications need is a separate discussion outside of the IDL debate. Uh, I think that occupancy counting points should be built into the BAS and not its separate siloed data point anyway, but that's a more nuanced point in general. I just want to course correct on a couple of things I've mentioned so far that I think are some false assumptions. You don't need to necessarily have different integrators involved. You don't need to necessarily have hardware involved. Um, FDD doesn't require hardware. Uh, data to come and then defining what is the data specifically. So if we're talking about HVAC data, I don't, I don't see why there would need to be an integrator involved at all. Okay. All right. So we've hit the points that I wanted to hit. I think we'll call a winner here. Kenny and I are going to decide the winner here, and then we're going to let people come in from the audience and ask questions. So we have about 20 minutes left. Um, Kenny, I'm going to open up the floor to you. What are your reflections here? What have you learned today? You were the judge. I've I've already declared myself as biased. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'll say my piece, but you go ahead. You're the neutral judge. What what have you learned? What who do you think won the debate here? So, so I think you know great great points from both ends, right? Um, but I would say that you know Team Pacific kind of came out punching uh, with the first argument. And, and stayed afloat. And, and I also got, you know, Alex's point, right? But I, I looked at it in two different categories. I think implementing an IDL is probably great for a developer tenant space, but from a owner occupied, um, maybe you need to understand what the business case is or the objectives, right? Because then, you know, but from a developer standpoint, you know, how do you plan for the next generation of tenants, right? Where it everything's going to be driven by data, right? And just an example, you know, today I'm hearing clients saying, hey, I want to be able to provide data to my clients, to my tenants in the future when their lease is up, right? So how do I do that, right? Um, so uh, I would say a lot of the points, uh, arguments, that came out of the Team Pacific um, kind of pushed me over the edge to say, hey, you know, we, we may need an IDL sort of as your plug and play. Um, so that's that's kind of where I stand. Yeah. And, and I, I think, as Andrew just said in the chat, I think it's a little bit difficult to uh, call the, the skeptic team losers. I think having Sylvia on the team allows a, you know, a certain sense of truth to be happening when a building owner says they want something. It's pretty difficult to argue with, uh, you know, you don't want that thing, Mrs. Buyer in this case, right? So it's a little bit difficult to argue with that. So maybe in the future, we'll have, try to make it a little bit more balanced. Uh, yeah, and Alex did a great, you guys did a great job of coming up against that obstacle uh, with flying colors. So well, well done to everyone. I'm not changing my position based on what we've talked about today. Just for the record, uh, my T-shirt that I'm wearing is still, still, uh, <laughs> still going to keep wearing it. Um, I was expecting you to rip it off you. Hulk Hogan style and have another shirt underneath it. So. <laughs> another shirt that says IDL was a winner or something. All right. So thank you to all of you. It's been this has been an awesome first debate. Uh, it's really fun. A lot of a lot of comments in the chat about how great this is. Let's keep it going for a little bit longer. I would love for an audience member to attempt to come on stage with us. So I guess whoever can figure that out first. I don't see anyone yet. Oh, Andrew Rogers. I could have predicted that first person. All right. We know whose team 
this guy's on. I'm just All doing right. this because Rosie said I had to. Um, <laughs> so I think one one topic that didn't get covered that I'm curious uh, everyone's perspective on is uh, I think we could argue a lot about data modeling and whether or not you can build a rich enough model for any particular application, whether AFDD or ASO or whatever tenant experience, et cetera. Um, but ultimately, if you do do point-based, like point system-based integrations, there's cost to maintaining those integrations. And I much prefer the idea of like an IDL in a building times the independent systems in that building versus every independent system that needs to connect with another independent system. This is a great times question. Times the building. Yeah, this is a great question. Anybody want to respond to that? Go ahead, Sean. Yeah, I, I think it's a really good point. And, you know, it is it, it goes beyond that, where when you start looking at who's updating those individual connections, who's maintaining the security for them, who has access to them, where is your data going, who's storing that data long term, where are they sharing it, you know, what country is the data stored in, you get into a lot of questions that are really, really hard to answer. And I think you can go you know, back to like Target getting hacked, you know, that came in through an HVAC vendor having full access to a BMS network and they were able to, to leap off and do do something else with it. You know, you you start to put yourself in a weird spot when you have all these vendors. And the last the last part of it is when you terminate the contracts with those vendors, uh, somebody's got to go in and find any boxes that they put in or any additional logging they turned on, uh, trend logging they turned on in your BMS network and turn that stuff back off and take those boxes out. A lot of times they just get left behind, uh, you know, not, not to ever be seen again until somebody bumps into it years later. Alex, go ahead. Can, I just wanted to ask if, you know, sometimes these conversations are an IDL or very theoretical. So many to many, what, what are we talking about? Many to many different, I think Andrew used the word point solution. So FTD over here, energy management over here, tenant app over here, um, what else do you guys have, Sylvia? Uh, name your other apps over CMMS. Yeah. My, my core question, though, is, again, what percent of data between those applications is actually shared? No, Between I, this I, application? But I, I don't think that was Andrew's point. Andrew's point Very was many to many percent. between the applications and the devices. The devices right? also. Each, yeah. each application yeah, exactly. is talking to a bunch of devices along the way. What, what devices? I mean, FDD talks to the BAS. Yeah, and and what else talks to the BAS? Supervisor control talks to the BAS. If there's meters on the BAS, somebody somebody else is talking to the BAS. So he's talking about just with HVAC, you could be the HVAC system could be talking to five, six, seven different applications, tenant submetering data. So that's just one to many on HVAC. Sylvia is talking about access right, but the control. amount of data you're talking about on meters, you're talking about a handful, a subset of points. That meters overlap with FTD and a meter analytics. If those are two different solutions, they're probably not. They're probably the same solution. Automated supervisory control is typically writing back to a handful of set points. Yeah, and, and Sylvia, so maybe it'd be is helpful. The of, the Sylvia, is talk about how many different applications you're, you're talking about here. Because this is, I feel like this gets narrowed in to only a few applications, but you guys are trying to enable much more, it seems like. And I think a lot of building owners that go down this road are, are not such so but I cannot really talk directly about uh, like uh, who I'm working for but I can tell you that definitely there are not just one user cases like uh, we are talking about the asset uh, like also uh, we have like a asset register to be maintained and that, like you know that part the, the MAC address and all this stuff like the device uh, um, uh, device details need to be sent out in a certain way. We're talking about the, like the network, for example, we need to maintain the network in a certain way. And we want to see, for example, if the camera, the CCTV camera are active or not, et cetera, et cetera. So there are applications for each different type of things. Um, we are happy, obviously having analytics. We have FTD. Uh, there are like the, as I say, the tenants that needs access to data for ESG reason or whatever other reason. So it's just like a enable also for the future. It's not just only right now what we have. It's uh, what we are going to have in five years time. Um, okay, Jim Meacham is coming on to ask our final question. Awesome debate, thank you guys. I guess like I put this 
alluded to this in the chat earlier, which the chat was super fun, by the way, too. Um, you guys that are up there debating may have missed all the nice quips. Uh, but uh, what, you know, what really makes it independent, right? Like, I think that's a key element of it because is it is it only if you don't add any application value that you are truly an independent data layer and the moment you're trying to actually do something with the data, you're no longer independent? I'm curious about that designation of independent data layer because there's lots of data layers. Sean. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, our, our view on this is that to BSG dashboards or reporting, it's no longer an independent data layer, an independent data layer. You cannot be directly associated with any of the device manufacturers and you cannot be directly associated with the solutions that are built on top of it. I think the moment an independent data layer starts providing FDD or starts providing, um, you know, ES or now it's just a solution that has APIs that allow others to access that same data. And so to truly be independent in there, it is, it is literally just the data layer, um, with, you know, normalization is okay. Some enrichment of data is okay, but you can't provide, you know, analytics dashboards and, uh, and you know, changes back into the system. Before we go to the other side, I'd love to hear Sylvia's take, and then we'll go to Alex and Greg, and this will be our sort of last question here. Well, independent for us means that it's obviously independent from uh, the device level and the application level, but also it also means that we are not stuck with the one vendor solution. So um, as you might or might not know, but like a building owner hates to be stuck, like just with the one provider for this for one things. So what they try to do is obviously to use uh, the most open source solution possible. Uh, and also a solution that doesn't allow them to sign for 10 years or whatever long it is uh, to one provider. So independence means both that you are independent from different contractor that they are like BMS contractor, access control contractor, whatever, independent from the application. So not an FDD solution that is providing the IDL. And also that it's uh, independent in a way that is open source and that you are not stuck with a solution that it's uh, from a certain just type of provider. So it can be supported by just that provider. Yeah, so if it was a software that was multi-vendor, right? Like, so if it was a piece of software where multiple vendors could support it, then that would qualify, I think, based on what Silvio was saying. But if it's a, if it's... The software is only supported by the vendor because then you have this issue of the, the integration is the hard part and all the labor associated with integration. And you can't just rip and replace that, right? Like you'd have to redo all of that integration work to move between vendors with most solutions, unless you had a like open source being kind of like multi-vendor kind of maybe uh, the analogy is like Niagara of IDLs, right? Where anyone can work inside of it um, and you could, you could own it and move between. I don't know if there's anything like that that exists. It'd be interesting to know. Kenny, were you, did you have your hand raised? Yeah. I mean, he, he covered the point. I was going to say, you know, you kind of have it in your uh, newsletter, right? Is the IDL, the new vendor lock-in, right? And, and maybe there is, is there a Niagara version in the IDL space? I'd be curious to to know that because that was always a concern, right? Yeah, more software. Yep. Okay. Because of time, we're going to do closing remarks <laughs> from everybody on the debate team. Thanks, Jim. Um, Greg, response and closing remarks. Uh, the independent data layer from my point is that the provider doesn't, the provider of the independent layer doesn't cross silos. So if he un uncovers a, a problem that he finds, the IDL vendor can't go fix the problem because that will uh, put them uh, in conflict with the people that are providing the hardware and the application. So that's what I think of as independent. It's you're only providing information. You're not providing any of the services necessary to correct any of your problems. Cool. Sean, you're next. Sure. Yeah, look, I, I think just briefly touching back on the independent part, uh, you know, what, one of the keys of an independent data layer is being able to swap out 
devices under underneath without breaking the applications that are above it. So, you know, if five years from now, an even higher resolution occupancy tracking system comes into play or, you know, an even better air quality monitoring system comes into play, you should be able to plug those pieces in without uh, without breaking the, the setup. Uh, and that was just, uh, you know, Jim's last point about uh, the, the vendor and, and uh, ideal uh, integration. Look, I, I think this was a, a, a very good uh, first debate, despite the technical issues. I, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave saying Alex is is still not uh, a believer, but uh, Greg is is not too far off. Um, you know, and and I will I will concede that if uh, Greg's uh, future comes to be where we have standards that define all these things and they self-describe and shove their data somewhere, we're all in a in a much much better place. Um, so, you know, no no argument from me on that. I just think that there's a a, a many decade gap between where we are now and that actually being widely deployed. Sylvia, next. For me, like what you'd say, Sean, it's true, it's correct. It, it probably Greg is more on our side. Uh, Alex, it's, 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 I always think that Alex is also on our side, but it's just the saying that to enable an IDL, you need to have some good business cases instead of enable it everywhere. Uh, which is kind of correct, like a, it just to solve some of the issue that we are having to share to enable data to be available for everyone. But it's not that it's worth it everywhere. Uh, sometimes uh, like uh, you don't need it and it's just a cost for the building. So it's true that you need a business case to do that because it's a cost, uh, an additional cost. So I feel that we are all agree that the IDL is uh, solving an issue right now of our industry. And uh, it, it's not going to be forever, hopefully. Uh, hopefully, we will find the standard that Greg is saying. But at the moment, that's what we got, and that's what we have to play with. Thank you, Sylvia. Alex, what is your, your closing statement? I think I'd like to reframe, right? I think this is not a holy war, so belief, not belief, doesn't make a lot of sense. It's about business case. And does the business case actually drive the cost benefit that we think it does? Needs to be looked at very carefully on a case-by-case basis. It's not always the same. It depends on the objectives you're trying to accomplish. It depends on the applications that are going to serve those. And a lot of this discussion is focused around commercial multi-tenant office space. There are a lot of buildings over 100,000 square feet that are not multi-tenant commercial offices. And I want to represent that side of the market in this discussion because a lot of the, the use cases that we've defined or talked about needing so far are simply not relevant for a university or a pharmaceutical manufacturing portfolio. Um, so there's real differences here. And the point is not to say good, bad belief, not belief, but simply to say, here are the practical considerations, start with that business value, work your way backwards, not the other way around. Absolutely. Yeah. I think what we've done here is we've, we've come up with a bunch of nuance around. It's not a, it's not a yes or no, or a holy war. Like you said, it's a, um, this is a tool that we can apply in the stack. And just because James wears a t-shirt to make a joke doesn't mean that everybody out there needs to go do this thing right now. Um, any closing remarks from you, Kenny? No, I mean, great discussion. Um, and at the end of this, it all seems like we're kind of going towards an IDL uh, story, but just from different angles. So it was great. It was fun. Yes. Thank you all. And, and thank you all for bearing with us we'll try again next month and uh thanks everyone to the audience i've been distracted by the chat most this whole time but the chat's been hilarious hopefully there's a way we can download it and and revisit it all later but thanks everyone and uh see you all later okay friends as we're trying these new formats please let us know what you think In your podcast player right now or on the episode page on our website, there's a link to a survey for this specific episode. We'd love to hear from you and we want to hear your feedback. Also, don't forget to sign up for the Nexus newsletter or invite your coworkers and friends with the link below. Catch you next time.